Okay, girls, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so good to see every one of you that were able to be here in person. We have so much to talk to, and I realize that we're only coming in to lesson three of the 10, but I would imagine that by now, life is getting more challenging as we are trying to learn who God is calling us to be. So how about if we open with a word of prayer and then let's get the day going. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of being in this room with these great women who are courageous enough, and I do mean courageous enough, to want to find out that grand equation that you have for us as to how we can live and love so that we are effective in our marriages. Thank you, Father God, for your unspeakable gift. And please now deeply speak into each one of our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' most wonderful name, amen. Okay, girls, you know my job is to review, right? <laughs> now, now you realize that we're getting more and more stuff to review. I have such a list. Okay, shall we start with the three things? The three things are all that you really need to know in this entire study. I guess you could call it like the overview, but the reality is if you can keep them in your mind, what these three things are and what they mean, it's going to help you to stay focused on what God's calling you to be. Who knows what the first one is? Who's on the throne? Is it me or is it God? Because I desperately need for him to be in charge of me and not me. Has anyone noticed that yet? How much it's not good when I'm the one that's in control? Whew. I need, it's so beautiful when I am staying behind him and letting him be in control. What's the second one of my beautiful pictures here? Keep your husband's esteem overflowing. Right, keep his cup of esteem full. Now there are five ways we can do that. One of them is to his face, obviously. One of them is to the kids. Another one is to the kids in front of him. One of them is to others. And the last one is to others when he is within earshot. Um, I was so compelled, convicted, when I learned that I was supposed to be speaking affirming things to my kids, because I wasn't, and affirming the kid, him to the kids when he was in our presence. Oh, I got an F in all of this, all of it. Okay, and what is the third thing? Capital R. Capital R for? Respect, Aretha Franklin, if you can't remember anything else. <laughs> respect, respect, respect. Our husbands need respect, they do not need to be loved. 
They do not need to be fawned over. And have any of you noticed that men kind of inch away a little bit from us when we fawn over them? Because respect is what they need. Love is what we need. And we tend to want to give to our husbands what we like and prefer. It's really amazing how self-centered we are. <laughs> we just never realized how self-centered we were. And so respect is what our husbands need. And lesson five is really going to zero in on that. And we're getting closer by the week to lesson five. Any questions so far on this timely topic? I hope that you're really working on taking ownership of the three things such as we know them at this point. And then we have our lovely concept of the engine and the caboose. This absolutely killed me when I learned this and I didn't believe it until I practiced it and found it was true. What I choose to dwell on, what I choose to believe, my mindset propels forward where I'm going to go and where my emotions will ultimately follow. Now this does not happen overnight, but it happens pretty quickly. And in my case, I had the 26 things, I'll remind you again, that I hated about Ed directly in my mind. And I was only now allowed to dwell on the 24 things that I had painstakingly discovered that were good points about Ed. And I was only allowed to dwell on them. And I left to the Holy Spirit's work dealing with Ed's issues. Because if you will recall, Ed was a rageaholic. And he was still a rageaholic. And my job was to put blinders on to his behavior and to only dwell on his good points. That's Philippians 4.8. Whatever is good, fine, excellent, praiseworthy. I can't even remember all the rest of the adjectives. Scripture says, commands us to think on these things. Not my list of things that I hated about Ed. Not allowed to go there. And then at the end of that verse it says, and it will go well for you if I choose to dwell on the good points. Any questions about that? In yes. a situation where he was, and maybe he wasn't, but like rageaholic around your children, oh, would yeah. you just leave? Or how would you, because how would you not react in order to want to be protecting your children? Okay, protecting your children, I would remove us from the setting. And that's an us, not a you. Yes, it was removing us from the setting, right? Because God does not call us to necessarily sit in abuse. And so you pray about that. When you're in the situation, God, what should I do? Is probably what you'd be saying to the Lord because you, you're confused and you don't know what you should do. And then he'll, he'll give you the idea, you and the kids get in the car and go to McDonald's for a milkshake, I don't know which is not healthy, but at times like this, you do what you got to do. We're going to be learning, by the way, that there is going to be a whole approach to abuse 
that we are not centering largely our attention on right now because right now this study is getting Candy to pay attention to what God's calling her to be and I'm trusting him to deal with any bad behavior. Now, super bad behavior, physical abuse, is a peace house issue, right? And you're gonna have to call in peace house and the police and do restraining orders and all of that stuff if it were that bad, you would have to do because God does not call us to sit and stew in horrid abuse. But let's just presume, and you know that I've just given you the way out to deal with that. But let's just presume that you girls are just dealing with regular daily life and it can get all over the place. Our husbands are full of stressors and let me remind you that we have only gone through two weeks of the 10 steps. So how much am I hurting and making my husband feel small, which never responds well? How much of that am I doing because I don't even know it yet? Well, I can speak from experience that I was the queen of F, remember? I got an F in all these 10 things that God was calling me to be. And it takes time to learn it, so be patient with your process. Okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna be talking about your good points list during our small group time. And uh, we'll be helping each other to develop them. Remember though, a good, uh, the good thing was brought up earlier today before we started, that if your husband's just going through an incredibly bad time, then your job is to, with God's help, remember who, where his heart really is and make your list from where his heart really is, not where he might be behaving badly this week. Or maybe he's going through a season because of work or something like that. That's all totally possible. God can work through all of that. And he certainly did in my life. Okay, uh, you girls are working, uh, have done your Myers-Briggs, I hope, by now. Has anyone not? Okay, your job is to do it. Because, <clears throat> does anyone remember why we do the Myers-Briggs? To better understand ourselves and our husbands. To better understand ourselves and our husbands, and then we can extend them grace when behavior that was incomprehensible to us before, now we understand it and we can extend them grace. It's the way they're wired. Very helpful. And then maybe you'll even extend yourself a little grace too. Although frankly, anything I learned in the Myers-Briggs that was negative about candy, I just added that to my list of things I had to pray for every morning because I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. In God's economy, that is number one. If I were to give you an overview of the Bible, it would be that God calls us to be responsible for ourselves first. And that means everything that goes into me and everything that comes out of me, I am responsible for before the Lord. And the question I find myself asking every day is, what do you call me to be today, Lord? That's all that matters. And that's my goal, girls, for you by the end of this program, that you can honestly say the same thing, that my agenda is the most unimportant thing in the whole world, 
And the most wonderful thing in the whole world is to be who God calls me to be as he shows me throughout today. And that is the good life. That's the uh, Tesla life, I guess I could say. Okay, you know, we talked in lesson two about the choices that we make, not to put pressure on you, but we do have to take responsibility for ourselves, right? Um, the choices that we make within our husbands and our families will either build them up and be blessed, as scripture says, for a thousand generations. I pray for that. I pray for that within my family structure of my kids and, and stepkids and grandkids. And I'm praying that a thousand years from now, they will still, the generations to come will be godly and experiencing all that God wants to give to them. That's my prayer. I encourage you to pray the same way. Because as I choose to be who God is revealing to me each week and calling me to be, as I choose to go there, then I am building toward the future generations, not just my husband. And you know as moms that the generations to come, our children, our grandchildren, are somewhat important to us. Somewhat, right? And our husbands are all wrapped in, up in that. And God will not bless my future generations, my children, my grandchildren, if I am bludgeoning my husband. It's a very interesting thing that happens there. You know, when I am disobedient to what God's calling me to be, as we are learning it, it's as if I take God's hands, it's hard to believe this, and I tie his hands behind his back because God cannot bless disobedience. I'll bet we never thought that seriously about that subject before, but he cannot. And I've watched it in my own life and I've watched it in multitude of my gal friends' lives. As we have learned to let go of disobedience in our lives, and we have become obedient, which by the way is the 10 lessons that we're learning, then amazingly, all of a sudden, God's hands are freed up and he just can't stop blessing us. He loves to bless our obedience and that's not why I am obedient. It's just a wonderful result that's a marvelous surprise, but the reason that I want to be obedient is because I am so grateful for God saving me and entering into my life and helping me to become something I would never have been otherwise. I am so grateful for that, that I will drop my agenda and be obedient. You bet. And then, doggone it, he starts blessing. Look how Ed changed. And rather quickly, I don't think I would not call that a blessing, especially six months later when he dealt with his rage even. Who knows what he's going to do in your life? Because I'll bet I'm looking at each one of you, you have something, if not a few things, that you wish would be, would be different in your husband's life. We know better than just about anyone. Okay, um, you know what? Uh, I think it's Harley has come up with the five greatest needs for men, and I want you to write this down, girls, and I want you to remember it. 
I think his book is called His Needs, Her Needs. Frankly, I don't really care about my needs, but I need to know what his needs are. And what do you think his greatest need might be? Okay, I'm just going to tell you. Respect and affirmation is his greatest need, and Scripture tells us that. It says, wives, respect your husbands. doesn't say wives, love your husbands. It tells husbands to love their wives, interestingly enough. So step outside of yourself and give your wife the hugs and the kisses and the love that she needs. Me, I need to respect my husband. And that's going to show up more and more in the course of our, our program. So respect and affirmation is two. You thought it was going to be sex, didn't you? Nope. Number two is sex. Our husbands are built to have this insatiable need for sex. And if they don't, then they probably have low T. So be careful because that's very hard on your heart and your brain. Men have got to have their testosterone levels up where they belong, but that's lesson 10. So we'll come back to that later. Look at what number three is, an attractive spouse. Now, that does not mean you need to Who's the, who, who would be a Beyonce? Who else would be really famous today? Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Kim Kardashian. <laughs> okay. Kim Kardashian. Our husbands don't need one of them. But they do need for us to, to basically take care of ourselves and consider our husbands. There's a whole level of effort that I will put out because it's Stan, my current husband, that if he weren't here, as a matter of fact, I, I know this, there were 13 years that I was a widow. And during those 13 years, I lived in overalls, spandex, and long, long sleeve t-shirts. As a matter of fact, Stan was so probably a little concerned about that because early on, uh, maybe six months in, Mother's Day came, and he brought me seven days straight a whole outfit in a box. Now, I wonder why that was. <laughs> right. That's probably not saying anything good about me. Anyway, I, I looked really nice after that <laughs> whenever we went out. But um, an attractive spouse. That means you take care of yourself, you put the makeup on and whatever that works for your husband. And you know what that is. We all know what it takes so that we're not embarrassing our husband. And it actually is a need. Notice that word need. Okay, what would be maybe the fourth one? It's going to be, oh, look at this one, domestic support. Now, if you're both working, then you guys have to work this out. But if you're home and a traditional stay-at-home wife, then it makes all the difference in the world if your husband knows that he can come home and things are under control in the house. If things are out of control in the house, it's very stressful for him. Very stressful for him. And uh, my best girlfriend in New Jersey did not have that under her belt. Her house was a train wreck. And she went out and bought a book called Messy No More. And she read it. It was from the Christian bookstore. And she sat in the car as she read the preface and cried her eyes out because it was helping her to realize that, that she could change. And so she made the little changes, one little change at a time, each, each day. And before you knew it, 
she got a handle on her home. And she has not been a messy ever since. It's amazing. But um, it can be habits. It can be not having, being able to figure out how to get a handle on your home. And those of you that are naturally predisposed towards being tidy and orderly, which by the way, was the only thing I ever did right, then we don't understand that. But if it's your temperamental bent or the way you were raised, or you were never raised to get it straight, it can be a real problem, but it's totally fixable. With Jesus Christ, is there nothing that's not fixable? Nope, I don't think so. Okay, the last one is, and this one's interesting, recreational companion. Recreational companion. I have a girlfriend, as a matter of fact, it's my friend Heidi Eske, who is also gonna be facilitating our study. And she, I'll never forget what she did. Her husband loved fly fishing when we were learning this concept. And she went out in one of those wader things that you can just kind of ride in, into the Green River with her husband to fly fish with him. And I was in awe, but she wanted to please her husband. Now, your husband's looking for a recreational companion. What I find works is I don't enjoy everything my husband enjoys, but we look to find things that we both really, really enjoy, and then we keep to making sure that we're doing those kinds of things. So forgive me, I know that there are many women that will sit and watch sports ad nauseum with their husbands to be a recreational companion. I don't do that. I do everything else, I'm not gonna do that. So you figure out what works for him and for you and make it, make it so that there are things that do work for you because this is really important. Notice, these are his needs. Good to know. You know that God has been looking, had looked all over the world for just the right woman to love Stan. And that was me and all my imperfections. And I think we can say that for each and every one of you. So who do you call me to be, Lord? And one last thing I wanted to mention to you is when you were doing your um, seven minutes with God, uh, starting to practice having a little quiet time this week, if that's new for you, uh, I wanted to give you some inside dope as to what's going on when you practice seven minutes with God. If you'll remember, we start out by adoration. We spend time dwelling on who God is. And then we go on to confess any known sin. And if I can't think of anything, I'll ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything I'm missing. And if there is, whoa, he brings it right up. And then I confess it and want to get rid of it. And then uh, T is thanksgiving. And then S is your prayer requests, supplication. Now, what's going on here? When I'm dwelling on who God is, I know what I'm not, right? I've, I've cleaned my heart out, confessed all known sin, and then I've spent time dwelling on what I'm thankful for. When I get to this point, I have what you might call is a clean heart because I'm not holding on to any sin or rancor. I know who my God is, and I've been 
thinking about what I'm thankful for. When I'm thankful, I'm humble because I know what I'm not. That's what humility is. So we're in the best position after going through those first three parts to really be able to communicate best with the Holy Spirit. So you can ask him all kinds of questions. You might have two or three or four or five questions that you have written down that you're talking with him about every morning and wondering how he's going to answer those questions and watching to see how he will answer those questions because you're in the best place to hear him now. Okay? And then you can talk things over with him. You can thrash things out with him and say, what's that about, Lord? I don't get that, which is me. And then he quietly starts to straighten my thinking out as I'm in that position because I have prayed that way. So I just wanted you to know what the real dynamics, I always need to know the reason why I'm doing something. And that to me is compelling that I'm in the best place to be able to hear God speak to me and to have him and I commune with each other, which is our ultimate goal.